This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to another thrilling episode of the Blurring the Lines podcast. I am your host, Peter Nicolaitis, and joining me today is my co-host, Adam Bell. Hey, Peter. Good and to be here. episode 99. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like we've done 99 of these. No, it doesn't. Uh, I looked back. We've been doing this for over three years now. Wow. <laughs> it really doesn't feel like we've been doing this for over three years now. This is, wow. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a good thing. I mean, now if you're listening to the show, you, you might have a different opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's been the three worst years of my life. <laughs> I can't stop listening. I was going to say, anyway, if that's the case, why are you still listening? Oh, my yeah. Me, oh my uh-huh well hey we made it to 99 all right so uh, cool yes yeah, so wow. we, we got to make it all the way to 100 i mean oh yeah absolutely i'm pretty sure we're gonna do that yeah <laughs> what, what happens after that remains to be seen but anyway. <laughs> we're all shooting right. for quantity not quality here <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> cool well on that note <laughs> what do we let's let's talk about 15 different topics <laughs> yeah Yep, we've got a uh, we've got a jam packed uh, podcast full of well a lot of actually a lot of tech stuff this 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 week. I mean, okay. kind of. all right. Well, yeah. well, let's why don't you why don't you lead us off? I did the intro. My hard work is done here. For hard work. So so I got to tell you, I mean, th- this is just funny. Hey, somebody joined the call. <laughs> that was weird. Anyway, so uh, this is funny. So so Tim. Our friend Tim Richter, who's been on the show, and friend, friend of the uh, show, Tim Richter, friend, friend of the show, Tim Richter, he uh, he is going to do his own podcast. So he was kind of asking me, you know, some coaching points of, you know, now that I've got ninety nine episodes of a podcast, he thought it might be a good idea to ask some stuff about it. And of course, he's been on the show. And he said, "Well, I'm not sure." He said, "I'm going to practice," and you know, it's just not this, you know. I don't know if I'm going to be interesting enough to talk by myself. And, and I told him, I said, you know what you're missing? And he said, what? I said, you're missing your own Peter. <laughs> but um, bum <laughs> You're my Peter Nicolaitis. <laughs> it was way funnier in my mind. <laughs> Does you need a co-host? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, I told him, I said, well, my advice was, you know, get a co-host or have a couple guests on the first, you know, two or three episodes just to get you warmed up to feel comfortable. He's mm-hmm. like, ah, yeah, I mean, you know, Tim, he's like, ah, I don't <laughs> know. You know, I can just practice and, and maybe I can get better and more comfortable at it. I'm like, well, I had never done a podcast before you and I did a podcast and I was a little bit uncomfortable at first, just, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know what to do with my hands or I don't know what, you know, (laughs) 
it don't, I don't know how to speak it correctly or however in a way that might be interesting. And you just kind of, you kind of work through it. And it's, I think it's a lot easier talking to a person and then later pretending like you're talking to an audience who's actually there and listening to you, you know, talking with no yeah. feedback is kind of tough. Yeah. Listening to, uh, to podcasts where there's just one person talking the whole time, uh, it's, you know, if you can get someone who's engaging, it's, it's really good, but it, it, um, it's a skill because mm-hmm. you don't want to sound like you're just reading from a script the entire time because then it becomes very boring and very predictable. And one of the most important things when you are doing a podcast is spawn teneity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, cause that, what, that would be me. I mean, cause I would get my, my speech would be less energetic. It would get quieter. It would, you know, because I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. Little interaction goes a long way. Mm-hmm. But I told, I also told him, I said, if, you know, just take a look at the podcasts that are out there and the most successful ones. I mean, the, the big, the, you know, the money making multi-million people podcasts, those are largely guest podcasts. They've got famous people coming to them and, you know, wanting to be on the show. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, big names draw. That's, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right. So Tim will have a podcast. Tim will have a podcast. He doesn't have it yet. He doesn't have it yet. No, no, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's just pontificating. Okay. So he doesn't really even, okay. So there's nothing to really announce. This is, this is vaporware. This is like <laughs> yeah. this is 95 in 1993. This is the fire festival right here. Fire festival. Tim Richter's fire festival. That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> the Arcor fire festival. Yes. I like it. All right. All right. What's next? Uh, I guess in, well, you know, updates, uh, health updates. We didn't list any in the notes, but health updates. I'm, man, I'm, I'm feeling way better than I uh, normally am. So that's good. Man, but I felt like, I mean, when I went on vacation, I was off for 30 days. I mean, I did a lot of physical activity. I did a lot of walking. I did a lot of working, but I didn't do a lot of exercising. So I came back this week and man, I felt, well, I started last Friday and then I worked out Monday. No, I'm sorry. Tuesday, Wednesday, and today being Friday at CrossFit and then yoga in between. But Monday through Thursday, I felt like I had been beaten and I was on a um, like cough medicine. I was just drowsy. Like I would wake up tired and today I'm, I'm good again. I mean, I guess it was just, I just had to power through getting, getting re-engaged in the exercise. Yeah. uh, Cause my body just needed it. It was lethargic and, yeah. Well, that, that happens. I mean, that happens a lot though. When you, you know, your, your body needs to get reacclimated. And I, I noticed that too, is if I fall out of the habit of regular exercise, um, you know, it's, it's rough. And like mm-hmm. this morning before, before I did anything else, I had a cup of coffee and I promptly went out and ran 10 K <laughs> and, uh, before my morning meditation, I figured I would try to squeeze that in later. But since it's going to be in the eighties again today, I figured I would get out while it was in the sixties. Yeah. Good move. Good move. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, 
relaxed a little bit. I still try to meditate every single day, but I'm not as militant about making it happen first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a very useful strategy um, at first to get started. But now that I'm sort of in the habit, I'm like, I, I can feel it. If, you don't, if I don't meditate now, it's just like you can feel if you don't exercise for a few days. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I, I start getting, it's, it's, it's really hard to explain. You know, if, if you don't do it, it's kind of hard to explain to somebody what you're missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a little jittery. Um, you know, I don't want to say like, I feel like emotionally less stable, but I guess I kind of do feel a little, mm-hmm. you know, a little less, uh, uh, less in control, less on top of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I try to, you know, keep meditation as part of my life right now. So, mm-hmm. um, but, um, you know, so I did it today at noon instead and, uh, uncharacteristically, I didn't set a timer today. But when I stopped, it was almost exactly 30 minutes. Ah, you know, cool. So it's like I can, my body can tell, my mind can tell when I'm getting to the, you know, the end. And I opened up my eyes and I was like, oh, look at that, 30 minutes. You know, so. but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, like I, but I felt it this morning when I went out for my run. And I deliberately started off like really slowly because mm-hmm. I, you know, didn't want to burn out. And, and I hadn't gone for a few days. I think I... I think I ran on Monday, Monday or Tuesday. I don't remember when I did last, but I was up at the, um, at the hospital for work for the last couple of days and mm-hmm. you know, didn't, you know, in hindsight, I could have actually snuck in a run, uh, when I, you know, the, the, the conditions were right and I actually did have time, but I just, you know, didn't plan. I, I, I figured I wasn't going to have any time. So I didn't bring my, you know, my running shoes or anything with me. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it, it uh, you know, I took it easy and stuff and it was, you know, far from my best time today, but it was decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the key was just kind of like easing back into it. My first mile, I was not pushing hard at all. And then <laughs> after that, I was like, all right, you know, I pushed up to about my average and stuff. So like I, I opened and closed a little slower than normal mm-hmm. but in the middle, you know, my splits were pretty decent in the middle. So I was like, all right, you know, I've, I don't have anything to prove. I was just out having fun and, you know, trying to stay healthy. And there you go. So do you typically run on asphalt or do you run on greenway asphalt? Uh, uh, It's usually uh, greenway being well, like park that may be through trails or things like that. Trails. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm not running through like the financial district of Boston downtown. So it's Mm -hmm. it's trails, you know, it's, it's asphalty, you know, sidewalk. Okay. Essentially. So, yeah. Yeah. Or one of the parks near me, uh, it is a gravel trail, Ah. which I think would, I mean, it's small gravel, but Mm -hmm. so it's not like, but I still think it might be a little tough running at times. It, I mean, it depends, you know, I, I really, um, I was looking at getting into more trail running and stuff, but that really hasn't happened. Uh, I mean, it's just, for me, it's just convenient being able to walk right out my front door and start a, you know, start a jog and then go from there. So mm-hmm. um, I've gone out in the woods a couple of times, but not, you know, I haven't really gone into that majorly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not, I don't get bored with it. You know, I do the same, not, not the exact same route, but I'm in the same area almost every time I run. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it now for over a year and, you know, it's just, just what I do. You know, it doesn't, hasn't, hasn't gotten old yet. Cool. Well, and I ran, I ran a mile 
this week. Excellent. As part of CrossFit. <laughs> as part of CrossFit. Yeah. As part in between the cross cross training, we were doing a exercise, well, 200 meter, then an exercise then a 200 meter, then an exercise. And it was four rounds of that. So I think went up to a, a mile the hard way. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> nope. That's only 1200. Hmm. Not enough. Not enough. That's not no. a mile. I no. didn't do a mile. No, he didn't. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, have you heard? Oh, wait. No, no. Four times four, 1,600. Yeah, yeah. I did. I ran a mile. So, so wait, 1,600 of what? 1,600 meters. Okay, meters. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah, so, I did, yeah. Four times four. Okay, yeah. Good. Good for you. Yeah, you hey. ran a mile. Good so, so, I ran one mile. Excellent. <laughs> not six. But one <laughs> last week. So. <laughs> so have you heard in the headlines, anything about, you know, Tesla and uh, their customer service being kind of uh, horrible? Uh, no, but I did see a actual Tesla service vehicle while in San Francisco, but yeah. They are pretty, yeah, the, they, they have the, so the Tesla mobile service. Um, Recently, though, and this has been going on for a while, their their service has been pretty bad, you know, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's generally it's just just a matter of getting a hold of somebody yeah. is, is the hardest part. Well, uh, a month or two ago, they changed it. So the only way you can request service now is through the mobile app or on the website. Yeah. You can't even call them to schedule something. Yeah. And um, a friend, friend of the show, Scott Wilsey, he sent an article uh, last week basically going on how Tesla executives are saying, oh, no, the service problems are over and they're not even close to over. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's still bad. So, for example, um, one of the things when I when I bought my car now, obviously, you don't do oil changes and you know that for an electric all electric vehicle but there is regular maintenance that needs to be done so right. when i bought it i pre-bought the first four years of maintenance and so okay. every twelve thousand miles you're supposed to have this done so i'm just barely hitting twenty four thousand. so i was like well better schedule it so the only option is to schedule it at a service center and then if they get around to it, which hopefully they will, uh, they will call me and say, we can, um, uh, we can send a mobile service tech to your location to do the work. Mm -hmm. So if they can, that's great. Um, but I don't know until I hear back from them. So for the next week and a half or whatever, until I hear from them, I have to tentatively plan on driving to the service center in the morning. So I'm yeah. hoping that they won't. And in the past, when they've been able to, they'll, you know, they'll dispatch somebody. But it's just this whole lack of communication that's not cool. And the way they did it, I remember I was calling because I had a question about, um, I forget what it was, something about, oh, yeah, it was a question about the warranty on the tires. And um, there was no way to get a hold of anybody until I did chat but there was no there they've got that you know a chat program that has no interactive no audio notification so your only option is to start the chat and just stare at the chat window until you see <laughs> come on board well I if you're not that. looking yeah. yeah i don't have that kind of time so i think like three or four times i would move the window off to the side start doing something else the person would show up hey you there no click send you know session ended so that was fun I finally got a hold of somebody there, but it, it's just, it, it's been downhill. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that 
my experience will be a little bit better when it actually comes to having the service performed. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now, not so, not, not off to a great start. So let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a bummer, you know, giving good customer service is, is hard to provide. And there, there is a balance between how many ways you'll let people communicate to you. And, and I, I mean, I run a service company, so I know that, but, Voice is the only line of communication I think that you cannot take away. Unless you're Tesla. Yeah, yeah I mean, unless you're Tesla. I mean, but I mean, I disagree from a customer service standpoint uh, that if you if you take away because while voice is not the same as a person to person interaction, you can get a lot of tone in yes. voice yep. and you can, you can have a good customer service person who can take an angry customer who is going to leave you because they are so ticked off about whatever, Yep. you know, you could call me up and, and maybe I could look, I'm sorry, Peter, I'm sorry that this happened. You know, we screwed up. I mean, even if we said we screwed up, mm -hmm. you'd be like, okay, okay. I mean, I accept that. Okay. But still, I, I really want this fixed and I feel better about it. I'm not going to sell my Tesla now because you talked, talked me out of it. But a chat, man, you could lose customers like that. Absolutely. But <laughs> just think, you could, you could lose customers, but you don't have to have people on the front lines. Oh, dude, you could have a complete AI answer all that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, now See, I'm, now I'm with you. The question is, what's a what's it? cost you to lose a customer versus what's it cost you to not have a human being operating the a phone <laughs> well yeah i mean that's ridiculous because i mean we can serve you know we can serve 500 customers mm -hmm. with a single technician mm -hmm. i mean tesla i don't know how many tesla cars are in manufacture and 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 on the road but shoot it seems like you, you know, a dozen could, people would handle that. <laughs> you think that they could, uh, they could, uh, they could afford to have some voice stuff. Yeah. That so, is pretty slick idea though. Just having chat, <laughs> you're having this problem. And I look up Google, I see the closest service station. Peter, you must go to this service station. Be better yet. We'll send somebody from this service station to you. <laughs> Yeah. Incidentally, you know how there are like rules on spam and stuff, supposedly? Um, <laughs> yeah. Apparently our Congress, uh, Congress people are immune to that because I just got a spam message from uh, the 5th District of Massachusetts from our rep there. And uh, there's a link to sign out, but of course I have to provide my email address to unsubscribe. I always love those. Just makes me, you know, think that they're going to use that against me later on. They're going to say like, well, you gave us your email address. Yeah. Yeah. To get it off of there. But I'm like, the only place I can think that she got it is from um, the Massachusetts uh, Department of Revenue, the tax department, mm -hmm. you know, or the Secretary of State where I've put my work because it's my work email. And that's the only yeah. places where I've given it to the uh you know to the state so it's like thanks yeah we've got your email we're gonna spam you <laughs> speaking of spam sure. th this week i had a client that um he got uh, he got a handful of spam like four messages in his inbox Ooh. 
and and it was in another language. Ooh. So he couldn't even understand it. Uh, and he was really upset about it. And I was like, do you know how much spam I get? Just mark it as spam. Mark it as spam and delete it. And, you know, and then ironically, uh, he, he did what we told him, mm-hmm. you know, which was the right thing to do. Just mark him as spam. It throws him in the spam folder. It clears him out. And then the Google, his account happens to be an administrator account for the Google and Google notified him as the administrator that you've had an increase in spam and phishing reporting, you know, and that he's like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Free. look, look, see, this is what I'm like, dude, you caused that. I mean, it's just, <laughs> people are recording, people are reporting spam. Who? Who? <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah. I, I deal with that kind of stuff on a daily basis. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Uh, we, we used to have some people who were complaining. I uh, had a client. They're not clients of mine anymore, but they were for, you know, for many years, they were a good one. And uh, <laughs> the administrator there would often email us. We're getting messages in their show. They're showing up in our junk mail folder. Okay. What, what are they? So, so these aren't, you know, that they shouldn't be or what? Now, it turns out that junk was going into their junk mail folder. And they didn't want that. I said, that's kind of what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, what I like is the ones that say, um, we don't ever want to receive, we don't want to receive it in junk or anywhere. I'm like, look, We've got to meet some middle ground here. I mean, well, if we if we on the server, but you're not going to be able to find it. <laughs> yeah, if it's yeah, my, uh, you know, if we start dropping stuff that is uh, may or may not be spam, you're going to be angry in a different way. <laughs> uh, so I was listening to Bloomberg this morning, uh, the Bloomberg News. Mm-hmm. on on a word because i was they've I was, got a great reputation <laughs> but the uh one of the things that they were talking about was the the chinese tariffs that that we've been uh be, been doing and, and i think i talked about it briefly earlier in the year maybe i don't know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You uh, so that they're going up they're going up by another 10 percent starting in September. And of course, you know, consumers are real concerned about it, but you know, there have been, there have been demands by the U S government for the Chinese to stop doing this, that, and the other, and they haven't met any of those demands. So they're, you know, president says we're getting ready to tax the blank out of these guys. And, you know, and I, it is what it is. Uh, but the tariffs, are, are taxing them, but it's going to end up, it's going to end up making consumer products a little more expensive. However, it is a consumer product and it is a voluntary tax and that you don't have to buy this stuff. And maybe we as Americans buy too much junk anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, there's, there's that. That's, that's one way to look at it and could also say, um, it's probably still going to be cheaper to pay 10% more for Chinese products than it would for made in America products. Uh, yeah. 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 So I suggest, uh, you know, I suspect that knowing 
us as a culture that most people are going to continue to buy Chinese and just, you know, gripe about it. Yeah. As I mean, opposed to, you know, doing something else. Cause I mean, you know, it always comes down to cost. That seems to be the deciding factor of most times. And, you know, like your iPhone would cost uh, way a lot more if it was all made, you know, in the U S yeah. Or, or even in Mexico, if it were made in Mexico, it'd still be yep. more expensive than it is made in, in China. But, you know, like you said, like these consumer electronics, I've got little switches around the office, the eight port gigabit switch that I bought for $17. Well, it's going to go up by 10%. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost me a dollar seventy more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to buy it. I'm yep. not even, you know, now it's eighteen seventy instead of $17. Yep. Um, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, look around for sales. I saw a, uh, uh, Best Buy is having sales on uh, Amazon uh, Echo devices these days. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're, you can get them as low as 15 bucks now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that it goes up 10% from there. So now, you know, even if that's a pure retail 10%, that's 1650 Still, <laughs> what, when we bought them, they were like 20 or 30 bucks a piece. <laughs> Yeah, I think I was paying 32 for the first yeah. ones I bought. And so just, secret is time. Just give mm-hmm. it a little time and it'll, it'll normalize and the prices will come back down again over time. So we're just losing a little time. That's all it is. Yeah. Like, you know, you should be investing. Okay, maybe you didn't start investing now, but you can still start investing tomorrow. Or, or <laughs> sorry, you can start investing now. You, you didn't start investing 10 years ago. So you've lost time, but you can still invest. Yeah. So, you know, you can still waste money on cheap crap. You know, I, I, I'm not as uh, enthralled with the, the Amazon A word as I once was. No, I really went through a, a, a phase and I haven't been using it as much. Um, I have definitely, you know, given my rants against Facebook and how I decided to unsubscribe and, you know, delete my Facebook account and stuff. I, Definitely had some thoughts about doing similar stuff with the lady in the tube. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because we know everything's being recorded. Yep. I mean, there's just you know whatever you talk about, it's going to come, it's going to show up in a in a search. So let's let's just see what's something that I've never ever talked about that's a consumer product. What's something I've never talked about? Say, <laughs> uh, Strawberry shortcake. <laughs> I would like to buy a strawberry shortcake doll for my daughters. Now let's just see what see when that let's see what happens. <laughs> that's going to be pretty funny when that happens. <laughs> yeah, because that's something I've never said. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking a book on uh, the Berenstain Bears. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious. Did you did, hear that? Did, I said the Berenstain Bears. Okay. We'll did, see. Wait, did the one of my favorite one of their books was an old book where it was in the haunted tree house. Did you remember that? I don't remember any specifics <laughs> of those. I always love one of the things that I've always enjoyed just for whatever reason is whenever there's like a, a cutout, you know, and it had a cutout of the tree and like there was you see in this room there's a, a a uh, knight in armor or a knight of armor with a ghost in it. And there's all these things and other things happening within the scene. I don't know. Those are, those are always kind of things uh, that I like 
I just think that those are fun. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you anything about the the books. I don't remember anything about them now. And <laughs> really, what they looked like. Yeah. So, so speaking of old tech, yeah, what's like up with this? Books are old tech. You know, I was just uh, I was just thinking of. So I, right now, I'm building two older servers. I'm doing some testing. And in these older servers, they have their Dell servers, so they have their lifecycle controller. So the lifecycle controller is this kind of operating system within the operating system so that you could boot it, build it, firmware update, you know, do all these kind of things to the server without actually having Windows or Linux or VMware or whatever on it. What's Funny is back in 1997 or 98, the deck alphas were going out of business. You were you old enough in NIT to yes, you ran yeah. deck alphas. So well, they were the, the little mini refrigerators. I mean, <laughs> and they were awesome, and they just ran. You never had to reboot the things. Uh, but they had their version of lifecycle controllers back then. You know, they had Windows NT3351 uh, and yep. NT4. They had those built into their equivalent of the lifecycle controller back in the mid-90s. Of course, that company ran out of business. I forget. I want to say HP bought them. Compact com bought them. Compact bought them. Compact. Yeah, Compact bottom and then HP later bought Compact. But they, uh, I think that they integrated a lot of the stuff out of DEC into their HP ProLiant series, those, you know, because they, they started making their own squares. But they, squares. yeah, <laughs> the, the mini fridge. I had a mini fridge. I had an HP and I had a DEC. Um, you know, but those were, it was just kind of funny. There's a lot of things that, that we think as new, not we, you and I don't, but a lot of people think are new that are, that are really old and have been in place for, for a long time. They've just got some new flavors to them. And yeah. there's, like, there's a lot of not new stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and so I am building, one of those computers with the new life cycle controller. And I, I say in there, uh, I miss being able to build a computer with a DVD. I've got a DVD player in that server, but I can't use the DVD player to build that server. I have to put the DVD in another computer, attach it as virtual media and build it from another computer. That is so frustrating to can't me. You, can't you use a USB DVD drive? I could, <laughs> but I'd have to use, I'd have to pull out the USB DVD drive and put it on there. But what's frustrating, there's a DVD in the server. <laughs> I guess that is kind of frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Having it there and not usable is a little, yeah. Uh, unusable because, because it's so much slower. I, I'm running the DVD on this computer that down at my feet for the server that's behind me over here. And it's been running for the entire podcast of building the, pulling the installation files from this computer to that one. Sounds like you need a faster network. Well, there's an old slow DVD <laughs> in there, but still <laughs> it would be a lot faster in that, you know, six gigabits SATA DVD that's sitting in that server. <laughs> <Dude>. <sighs> 
So, so anyway, we talked last week. So, so, so that's, so we talked about old tech. How about new tech? Mm -hmm. Well, new tech. So you're talking about the, the two factor. You talking, yeah, well, which is, I mean, okay. Two FA is not new, but Microsoft and others are now pushing a, you know, making a new decision to enforce the use of yeah. two-factor authentication, which is a great thing. Yeah, um, which I agree. Yeah, I agree. Definitely needed. So, so since last week, I did go in and uh, into my settings and found the part where, yes, I had set it up to give me a phone call. So I changed that to the Microsoft Authenticator app. And okay, so that's working now. Great. Mm -hmm. Uh, the nice part is that it's push notifications. So at least I don't have to remember to open, you know, like which authenticator app to open. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I still have yet another authenticator app that I need to use. Uh, so that, that part's, you know, uh, annoying. Uh, but related to that, my, um, I usually, I have an Office 365 email account, which I never use. Uh, I, d I just pretty much use it for the apps and I use it for the Outlook calendar. Right. But every now and then I will accidentally send an email from there. So I have my, you know, we're hosted on Google apps for, for paradigm for our email. So I have my Gmail account set to pull my office 365 mail. Right. With the Gmail. And ever since I enabled 2FA that broke. Yeah. And so I have to go in to change the settings to allow myself. I don't know what happened because I was able to do it, but apparently, I mean, it's awful coincidence happened the same day I enabled 2FA. Um, but since I did that now, I can't, um, I, I can't uh, check my email via pop. So it looks like that, you know, when I enabled two-factor authentication, that simultaneously disabled my alternative mail protocol access. Well, so, and, did you get the notification from Google that they are, they've removed the less secure apps as being able to push across the organization? No. Oh yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so yes. You can't, it didn't get push less secure stuff out uh, across your Google uh, G suite stuff mm -hmm. to your customers. Great. So I've been secure apps. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet your office 365 you're going to have to push it rather than pull it. Hmm. But that's like, just, that's pop though. It was connecting by a, by a secure protocol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just pulling mail that I don't know. What yeah. I used to have was I used to just have a filtering rule on the office 365 that just forwarded yeah. emails to my other address, but then I would try to reply. And of course it would want to reply to. Oh yeah. The, the other email address. address. Yeah. Yeah. So then it would come back to me again, which was annoying. <laughs> ah, all right. And uh, non-tech, well, let's keep talking about tech for a little bit. You wanted to mm -hmm. talk about the Windows subsystem for Linux. Yeah, yeah. So whistle. The, the whistle. So I, I saw that there was the Windows subsystem for Linux and I didn't know what exactly what that was or even why it was there. And so I, had, I did a little bit of research on that and I watched, I watched a uh, dude on YouTube talking about it a little bit further. But so the Windows subsystem for Linux is, it's not really built into the kernel as far as like 
there's the windows kernel and it spins up a virtual machine, which has this windows subsystem for Linux. Uh, and there was version one, which was kind of not all that great, which is kind of typical, you know, the first round, it's not all that great. And then the second version is a little better, a little more robust. And, and so you might ask, why would I want Linux on my windows system? Why well, would you want Linux on your Windows system? Well, that's a very good question, Peter. If I were a software developer, which I'm not, but if I were a software developer, there are a lot of tools that I use or would use that I would need for running Windows or running my Linux server. Because a lot of the times these guys, uh, I, do, I have worked with Linux developers and what they have to do is they have to run PuTTY. And so they run PuTTY, they make a secure connection to the Linux server, and then they have to run everything from a command line. Well, for most Linux guys, that's completely fine. But you, you really, you don't want to install programs on your, you know, on your production server, and then you have to have a development server out there. And if you want to develop locally rather than on some other server, it would be nice to have that virtual machine on your computer. So that's what that allows. And there's some speculation out there why Windows even wants to have their own flavor of Linux when you can run Hyper-V on a Windows 10 computer and just install your favorite distribution as a virtual machine and run it that way. Yeah. Uh, there's speculation that Microsoft doesn't want to, uh, they don't want to lose, they don't want to lose any market share in anything. So they want to create their own Linux so that they can keep the Linux developers happy with Windows 10 or window, you know, the win Windows operating system. So they won't go out and just find a distribution that they really like, and then just go with that instead of Windows. Mm -hmm. But most people, even, I mean, most Linux developers that I know would rather be on Linux anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. they, if they could do their job Native without, Linux. yeah, without Windows, they would. But most of the time you can't, you can't do that. I mean, not yeah. in an enterprise. Yeah, I mean, so. it, it depends, you know, there's, there's certainly a place for it. It's, um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the, yeah, it depends on the organization, the culture, the business needs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So just for fun, what is your favorite distribution of Linux? Uh, either Debian or Ubuntu. Yeah. Mostly, mostly it's because of the package manager. I, I like the apt package manager and the dpackage system. Mm -hmm. I much prefer that over uh, RPMs. Yeah. My, uh, my, this was kind of a trick question. My favorite distribution of Linux is actually Mac OS X. Yeah, but that's not like, that's BSD. <laughs> yeah, but I like, uh, I actually like, I like Ubuntu and I like Mint. I like, I like the way Mint looks, mm. uh, but I like Ubuntu when I'm running it. There's just so many more Ubuntu users out there who are also using it. And I find, you know, if I have, if I'm seriously running it, then, and I have problems, there's a lot more resources to me. And, and Ubuntu, if you really were into it, like if you really wanted to run your company on that, they offer support for that, for that distribution. Yep. So oh, yeah. you, well, there's so plenty could, of commercial Linux support out there nowadays. You know, the, yeah. The big question always just comes down to is, do you have your apps 
And on that note, I'm still surprised that we haven't yet gotten uh, Microsoft Office for Linux. I'm really kind of surprised. Yeah. I would think that you know Satya Nadella would have would have done that by now. And, yeah, uh, get all the market. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. You know, they're they've become <laughs> so like, hey, we don't care what you're running, just you know, run our stuff. You know, and so I don't know. I, I'm I'm really kind of surprised. I, I thought that would have would have come by now. Oh, this is funny. But, uh, I mean, totally unrelated, but licensing, funny. So VM, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, VMware contacted me. They said, we need to know all of your VMware licensing. Uh, we're, we want to conduct a VMware audit of your business. And I replied back. I said, well, I don't have any VMware servers, none, n zero, mm -hmm. n not even like one that's not mine or one. I have clients who have VMware, but I have zero, mm -hmm. none. And they said, okay, well, we still want you to fill out the audit and fill it out with nothing. I said, who are no, you? I am not filling out an audit for you to state that I don't use your product. <laughs> No, but they were, <laughs> they sent me another follow-up email. You know, we, you have not filled out your audit. I'm like, I am not filling out an audit for a program that I don't use. Bingo. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, at least, you know, Microsoft, I do. I mean, I use tons of Microsoft, so sure. I, I, I'm sure that I agreed in some licensing agreement that I checked off that I agreed that if they sent me an audit that I would fill it out. Mm -hmm. But, but VMware, I don't know you anything. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. But, but they were pretty adamant. No, you need to at least fill it out with, with zeros on these. No, no. Why'd you, no. Why'd you go ahead and do that for me? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You can go ahead and do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so we're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I, I did mention in, in old tech, um, FTP. Hmm. F, FTP is my favorite protocol since we're talking about things like that. Really? Yeah. Why yeah. would you say such a thing? <laughs> well, one, it's very efficient. Uh, and there's a lot of things written for uh, transferring files, you know, recognizing the file size and then making sure that it it gets to its destination and it has that exact file size and signature uh, as well as resuming. Some of the old FTP technology has some of that really good. And, and of course you can encrypt it. And, and people think that it's new. That protocol is like 35 years old. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, FTP has been around for a long time. No yeah. Kidding. And, and as, as soon as I found like SCP though, I, I, I never looked back unless there was no other option. Yeah. You know, SFTP, I find that's usually easy to do. Uh, but when it comes to FTPS, that's always a pain. Tricky, in tricky. The backside. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but I like, I really like to set up uh, printers using well scanners uh, with FTP rather than SMB because it just goes faster. 
the, hmm. the authentication of users and then you have to have Active Directory to work and you run a little FTP client that's not associated with Active Directory and it'll just keep working and that username and password never changes and the users never know what it is. <laughs> I was going to say, that there might be some security problems with that. Though. But yeah, if the user never knows the password and the, chan the, the encryption, uh, sorry, the communication's encrypted, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, yeah. you're sending it in clear text, which could have ramifications. Like of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot faster that way. Hey, there we go. <laughs> as long as it's fast, we don't care. <laughs> and if it's on the LAN, I mean, it's all right. <laughs> sure, nothing, nothing bad ever happens inside the firewall. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so we were chatting a little bit beforehand, and um, I want to look into, in my copious amounts of free time, yeah, right, <laughs> um, I want to look into what it would take to enable a private lady in the tube skill. Uh-huh. And uh, this should be doable because you can use it to call what Amazon calls Lambda functions. Mm -hmm. And so I should be able to say, you know, like a word, start this service or run this, you know, such and such and have her spin up a server or something for me that I need. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because I'm cheap, I don't want to have my VPN server running all hours of all days because then I'll have to pay like five whole dollars a month for it. Oh my. So I only want to use it when I need to. So I will invest several hours of my time to figure out how to do this so that I can <laughs> save a dollar or two a month. To save $60 a year. If that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But it does sound like a kind of a cool thing, you know, like say, hey, blah, 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 and then have stuff kind of happen or whatnot. So it is cool. You know, one thing I wish that there was. Um, some sort of signature vo vocal signature authentication or something, because it is disappointing when somebody can just walk into your room and say a word, whatever. And it doesn't matter who it is. They have voice recognition though. They can, they, they, they have, they can re um, I haven't enabled it, but you can train it to recognize your voice mm -hmm. and ignore everybody else's. That would I be cool. I don't know if it ignores everybody else or if it only does, certain things for you and not for everybody else. I've never, like I said, I haven't actually done it. Mm -hmm. I know there are definitely options where you can train it and say, you know, like a hey, word, recognize my voice or something like that. Yeah. Well, and it wouldn't be good to have like your password. All right, Peter, say your password. Yeah. <laughs> my password is blah. Chicken foot. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> uh, on that note, also um, earlier this week, I found an article. I'll uh, see if we can post that in the show notes. But uh, on the whole topic of, you know, recording everything you say and logging it in the cloud, um, some guy posted a script on GitHub to uh, configure, I think you can run it on Mac devices and iOS devices, to make Siri no longer record your conversations in the cloud. Huh. So okay. whatever you say, you know, like, hey, blah, 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 you know, hey, dingus, yada, 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 she won't store that mm -hmm. forever. Um, so again, I mean, you know, there's got to be some trust involved that they're actually doing this, but supposedly Apple gives you that option, but it's not just like a checkbox anywhere. So you have yeah. to import this security profile, just like you were setting up a VPN connection or, or you know, installing a trusted certificate in your Mac device or your Apple device. 
So, uh, but supposedly you can do that. So I'll, um, I'll dig that up and throw that in the show notes in case you uh, want to try it. If you have yeah. any questions, I mean, you know, it's, it shows the code right here. It's like, it's this XML file. And so you can see exactly what it does. So uh, I, I did examine it. it, did not appear to be rooting the, um, uh, you know, my, my iPhone. So I, I ran it. <laughs> well, and the other thing, well, talking about AI, and I think or we've talked about AI before, but it's a good reminder of, you know, when we were growing up, when we were talking about Terminator or whatever, artificial intelligence, we were thinking AI would be computers actually thinking. They're not actually thinking, but what they are doing is they are processing tons and tons of data in a very short period of time because it used to be you could hide uh, you, you could hide behind the data. There's just so much data, you know, talking about like, we've got, a, you know, 99 podcasts and, and whatever. And so nobody's going to go through and listen. You know, no machine is going to pull out every time we talked about, you know, a word or whatever, but they can. Now the AI will run through that stuff. And, you know, I, I don't even know what kind of hardware they've got, but big time hardware with as much data as it can go. And then that AI just starts going. So it's really, it's really amazing. And it's amazing how far we've come in just 10 years. Amazing how far we've fallen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, where is it going to be? another 10 years from now, this is 2019. What's 2029 going to look like from computing power and, you know, processing data, you know, is AI going to be able to read our thoughts and, and, you know, <laughs> query them? <laughs> Luckily I've, I've never claimed to be a futurist, so I don't need to try to predict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting, you know, I, uh, and data, data analy you know, analysis is a big deal. Yep. <laughs> well, on that note, on that happy note, yeah. <laughs> do we have anything nifty you want to go over before we call it an episode? I do. I do have a nifty. And I did a, um, a backup documentation a long time ago on the Buffalo Link Station. Mm -hmm. And it is a uh, network um, attached storage, uh, but it's a... It, you could use it for your home or you could use it for really your office backups as well. Uh, it'll hold a, you know, a, you know, five terabyte hard drive, which is a lot of space for backing up. And it will sit on your, your land, your homeland or your office land. And it supports FTP, my favorite protocol. And it sort, it does support SMB and, you can create a file, you can create file shares out there and you can store, uh, I use it primarily for backups. You can do other things like using it for media servers. And I, I mean, I think you've used a Microsoft media server and it, it falls into that to where you could do kinds of things. But the thing that I've been impressed about this, the link station is that Buffalo has been continuing to update the firmware on it and maybe they update all of their stuff you know, for over four years. And I didn't, you know, I paid a probably 70 to a hundred dollars for this thing. Huh. Uh, but it just keeps working and I keep getting firmware updates. And so I've been, I've been pleased with that and they've got their big Terra stations and I'm halfway yeah. tempted to try some of the bigger uh, stations just to, 
you know, because of the, the, and it's fast. It's really fast for a little, little NAS. And what I, what I do with it is I've got, I've got five uh, servers in my network closet that handle backups and compressions and things like that. I don't back up all the data, but I back up the C drive. I back up the operating system, which is really small. Yep. You know, most of them are 30 or 40 gig operating systems, so I can do a full backup and I've just got them staggered so they don't kill that little USB NAS. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it just works great. You know, it, it sits in there and runs, it recovers from power failures and, you know, so good job, Buffalo. I've, um, I have owned both link stations and a terror station in the past. Mm-hmm. I used them both for several years, mostly again for backups. And um, yeah, I don't know. We used early on, we were using Buffalo's wireless stuff and I forget what happened. Did they I think they got sued out of doing wireless and they could only do uh, network attached storage. I think that's where they moved. But we used, we used their Wi-Fi access points for years and, uh, and some of their routers and stuff in the early days as an alternative okay. to like Linksys. And I forget what happened, but at some point they had to just back out of the, uh, the wireless space. I don't remember why. I, wanna th- I, I, I think it had something to do, you know, like patent violations or something. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it was on the up and up. <laughs> but well, yeah, and I actually like Synology as well for I've NAS. Never actually bought one, but I've heard really good things about those. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm getting to a point where I, I I may be ready to just move, you know, like completely local storage free, you know, like no local file server, just store everything I want up in either AWS or, you know, Dropbox or OneDrive or something and, just yeah. the, I, I shut down my file server. What now? I guess it's been a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And uh, I did notice I have a QuickBooks file on there that I need to get to. So, <laughs> but since I always access that QuickBooks file from the same workstation, there's no reason I can't just drag that file to said workstation, right? There you go. And on that note, I need to do my homework. <sighs> I have. I a, thought you were... An old dude. Yeah, I'm an old dude who went back to school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I gotta, uh, I gotta work on this paper. I have a rough draft to do, and I have a, oh, I have an exam that I have to take this weekend as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, can't wait for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, what are you gonna do? Oh, and I just noticed my ticketing system. Uh, you know, we use RT. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may remember that I used RT since uh, 2003 yeah. and then had the misfortune of getting dragged into that freak show known as ConnectWise for a year. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, uh, we moved to Autotask for a year and then back to RT again. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I have the bulk of uh, 16, well, 14 years of customer, you know, tickets and stuff like that in RT. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I just noticed that my ticketing system, we just broke 50,000 tickets today. Wow. Now that was with a restart because when I left RT, I didn't, uh, I'm pretty, yeah, I resumed again. I forget what we started at the the second time around, but but this time locally we've, we've, you know, done, uh, we've, we've, excuse me, hit 50,000 tickets. So, yay. (laughs) 
Well, and, and I ran, so when I first started my business in 2008, I used a program called HESC. And, um, sounds familiar, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it, it was a PHP about it before. Probably, yeah, it was a PHP based server side thing, and and I was able to customize it, and we used it, and it was pretty good. And then, of course, you know, I've been to Autotask, and then Connectwise, and then now I'm on Kaseya. Uh, but you know, I had I had a large volume of data in help in Hesk, and and I made it available to my techs so that they could go back and view history or whatever. And then I realized, I'm like, I am not maintaining this old data because they tell me they want to see the old data and they want to tell, they tell me they need this old stuff, but they don't, every time I send them a new ticket, they don't go back and look at the old stuff like they're supposed to. They you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, I just, uh, I let it go. Uh, so now I've got, my, so my auto task stuff and my ConnectWise stuff, they just went. So I have my, uh, my current RT is spread across two AWS EC2 instances, one for mm -hmm. the front end, one for the database. And I was going to use their, um, you know, the AWS, <clears throat> the Amazon uh, database service so that I didn't have to think about it ever again. Mm -hmm. um, but when you do that, it, it, frankly, it costs more. Yeah. And since, you know, we're, we're pretty much, we're not a 24-7 uh, operation anymore. So, you know, we're pretty much nine to five. So that means that my RT instances really only need to run eight hours a day, mm -hmm. not 24 so I chopped my hosting bills down by 66% by shutting them down at night. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. So instead of, um, you know, paying for the 24 by seven uh, Amazon Postgres, PostgreSQL service, I just have a Postgres server running on an Ubuntu instance. But nice. if, I, if like I ever start to get close to running out of space, I can just upsize that machine's partition and, you know, dial up more space for it. Um, so anyway, that's my main, you know, my, our main repository there. And then all of my ConnectWise data got imported into Autotask. And before I quit Autotask, I ran a giant report and just exported all of the ticket bodies and headers and dates and requesters to a giant Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. So I have two years of ticket history in an Excel spreadsheet. And then everything that's older which would be what, 2003 to 2014 or so, nine mm -hmm. or 10 years uh, of data is in another um, Amazon EC2 instance, which if I ever actually need it, I will fire it up. Yeah. So essentially it just sits there. But if you have an EC2 instance that's not running, it doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so if I need it, and I've had to go back, I think maybe twice. You know, essentially go back further than something where, you know, I didn't have it in the Autotask ConnectWise days, you know, but I mean, it's not costing him anything, so I'm not going to delete it anytime mm -hmm. soon. But, uh, you know, if I was, if it was costing me, even if it was costing me like, you know, a few bucks a month, I would be thinking to myself, do I really need this? Do I really need this? <laughs> but it's literally costing me nothing other than having to scroll past it in the list of servers, you know, when, mm -hmm. I, when I look for something to start. So I can accept that cost. Yeah. So, so let me add, do you have just a couple more minutes to talk about Glacier? Yes. So tell me what you know about Glacier. I use Glacier. 
So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the files that I wanted to back up but didn't want to just keep in Dropbox, I moved to Glacier. Mm -hmm. So lots of old media files that I had just kicking around. I wanted a place, you know, other than just sitting on my, my NAS or my server in the basement, which I right. off for a couple of weeks. So I made an S3 bucket and I configured the retention time on it to move everything to Glacier after one day. Okay. So essentially when I decide, okay, yep, this is some data I want to keep but I don't want to keep it here on this server. I'm going to just glacier it. Mm -hmm. So I just upload it to this S3 bucket. And then, you know, within a day, it gets archived to Glacier. So essentially, the way it works is it is cheaper than regular AWS storage. And it is less accessible. So okay. I think there may be varieties as to when you can get it, but you cannot get your data immediately. Okay. Because what happens is, you know, essentially you think of it as like it, it gets put off to nearline storage. So mm -hmm. it's going to be like on a tape or something that is not readily available. Mm -hmm. The idea is that you're putting it away for a while. And I forget what it is. Like if you do a restore, they charge you for restores to, to access the data. So you're paying to put the data in. You're paying a tiny fraction of you know of what you normally pay in in in, um, uh, in uh, S three charges to store the data, mm -hmm. and then you're charged for retrieval. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's just you know it saves you money because if you it's like yes, I may need this someday, but I don't need it quickly, and I don't need it for a while. And mm -hmm. when you put it there, there are other I, you know like everything AWS, it's a complex calculation to figure out what it's going to really cost. Yeah, I was uploading terabytes of data to it, wondering how much this is going to cost. Like you know, every month I was throwing like a few hundred gigs of data up there just to you know see because I was paranoid. I didn't want to put a, like you know a ton of data and all of a sudden be getting a fifty dollar a month bill or something for yeah. something that I may or may not want. Um, but every month, you know, I would feed it a little more, feed it a little more. My dollar, my, my bill for my personal AWS account still has not exceeded $3 a month. <laughs> like $2.54 <laughs> or something like that. So I'm like, all right, that's, uh, that's pretty cheap. But mm -hmm. there's some restrictions again. There's, there's time restrictions. So you can't get your data immediately. It's a minimum, you know, of several hours usually. Mm -hmm. And then they also, um, I think they penalize you if you don't keep it in Glacier for at least, you know, like X months mm -hmm. and it comes out sooner than they, um, you know, then they penalize you for that as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's some, I've considered storing long-term cause so like right now I make an annual backup or an annual archive of my clients, um, servers. So I'm backing up their full servers. And every year I make an annual backup to a USB and then take it to my bank and put it in the safety deposit box mm -hmm. so that I've got a, but you know, if I, if I needed to get it and it's Saturday afternoon, it's in, I, I won't be able to get into that safety deposit box until, till Monday. But you know, that's, that's the, archive you know that is yeah. it, it's so bad that you know their their local copy has died my copy has died and you know so i mean it's gone way beyond that's just like the 
the backup of the backup of the backup. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, so, but the thing about Glacier is Glacier would be a good place for that. Um, as long as I could get it back in a reasonable amount of time. And it sounds like I could get it back in a more reasonable amount of time for an annual archive that I may or may not ever get. I may not, may not ever access that data. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, you, you, it's, if you, if the likelihood of you needing it is really low, then you can definitely, you know, don't, don't pay top dollar for it. Yeah. You know? uh -uh. So. Yeah, it can just sit there and, you know, maybe I just delete it after it's three years old and never been touched and yeah. there are two and, other years of backups. And there are other uh, retention things that you can set on that too. So I have like the uh, retention span set on my Glacier backups so that I think I keep like six months or a year and mm -hmm. then I delete them after that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, because I don't need to keep backups of, you know, client websites forever. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's just, uh, it's, it's really, you know, it's really cool. It's a very awesome technology. Um, it's pretty reasonably priced mm -hmm. and, um, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve and you sometimes you got to understand exactly what the, you know, what, what are these retention periods? What are the policies? Oh, I can't get my data back really quickly. Okay. Well, you know, but again, it's like I said, this is for me, like I had, um, I, I had a bunch of old DVDs that I had ripped, mm -hmm. not Blu-ray DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wanted to keep them. I didn't want to keep the physical DVDs anymore. Although I guess licensing wise, I'm probably supposed to be doing that. All right. But it's easier for me to, if I want to watch a movie, I can, you know, without having to pull a DVD drive out or a DVD player out, I can just stream it from my computer. Yeah. The downside of storing it up in Glacier is that I need to know like what I want to watch tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can't decide, you know what? I think tonight I want to watch Avengers Age of Ultron. All right. Well, you know what? If I'm going to do that and I want to watch it tonight, I'm probably going to rent it from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a uh, anti um, collect. I mean, I, I don't hoard anything and I don't, collect things and i had i had all these dvds oh. of stuff that i recorded on the tivo like yeah. shows that i recorded and i was like i haven't even looked at these dvds in since 2006 when i recorded them on tivo dump <laughs> i i confess to uh, i i had an you know i'm a guy so you know i, I don't i don't deal with emotions well <laughs> um, but I had a bit of an emotional moment a few nights ago. Um, I was talking with my dad who has been selling a lot of his, uh, postcards on eBay. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, why don't, why don't you start selling my old comic books? Uh huh. And so, you know, my idea is that, you know, I'll, I'll pay him a commission or we'll split whatever he makes or, you know, whatever. We didn't even talk about the money. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, went there and I just went downstairs and I grabbed, you know, a box at random and I opened <laughs> it up. I'm like, all right, what's in here? Iron Man. <laughs> you know, my favorite Avenger now, you know, with yeah. movie. And I was just like, and I thought about it for a second. I was like, oh, you know, do I really want to? 
And I, I just, I, I, nope, nope. I put the box cover back on, put it up in the car. And I just said, I got to do it. I'm, I'm not going to sit down and reread these again as much yeah. as, I, you know, it sounds like fun. It's not going to happen. And, you know, so it was, it was, it was, it was touch and go there for a minute. Though. <laughs> anyway. I'm, prou- I'm proud of you. Good job. I tried. I'm trying to declutter a little bit. <laughs> but on that note. <laughs> yeah. On a de- decluttering note, I will get your feedback. So we do want your feedback. Uh, today, was, today was a very technical podcast. And if we said some things that are technically incorrect or you'd like to discuss them further, then you can do so by contacting us at www.blurringthelinespodcast.com. I just tested the contact form and updated it and made sure that it's working. So, Hey, excellent. Oh, so maybe that's why we haven't gotten any contact recently. Maybe the form was broken this whole time. <laughs> the form was broken. Uh, maybe so. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about us, you can uh, check us out at our websites, uh, Paradigm Consulting, which is Peter's company. Company, paradigm p-a-r-a-d-i-g-m-c-c dot com or yoga with peter.com or you can reach me at my company at sublime comp.com s-u-b-l-i-m-e-c-o-m-p.com beautiful beautiful so <laughs> next our next episode will be episode 100 and i'm looking forward to it it feels like we should plan something fancy for it, but I don't think I'm going to have the time. Just, we, we should do something fancy and, and classic and, and tasteful like our entire podcast. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, I think we have to hit the big red button. <laughs> big red button. To contact either us or our guests, visit blurringthelinespodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.